Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. If this is your first time here, welcome. You may be wondering what it means to have a special Patreon release. So here's the scoop. Patreon was a platform we used to generate financial support for the Savvy Sauce. And we would express our thanks to those paying patrons by giving them a bonus episode every month. But now we have some exciting news. We are transitioning away from Patreon because we recently launched the Savvy Sauce Charities a nonprofit to inspire us to grow in intimacy with God and others. And this podcast will be moving under that nonprofit umbrella on January 1st, 2024. That means after January 1st of 2024, your financial contributions to the Savvy Sauce Charities will still support our work and keep us on the air, but they will also be a tax write-off for you. We try to make as much of our material free to the general population, but it's only possible when some generous listeners show their support through financial backing. We spend thousands of dollars each year to record and produce these episodes, and we do pray that they're beneficial and that God sees fit to use them to be transformational in your life and in ours. So if that is the case, if you have ever benefited from an episode of The Savvy Sauce, would you consider showing your gratitude through your financial generosity? Any amount is greatly appreciated. In fact, you may have heard me say before, if every listener gave only $1 per month, it would completely offset all of our costs. We will have updates on our website, thesavvysauce.com, in the coming months. But feel free to reach out anytime to any member of our team if you want to partner together. Our email address is info at thesavvysauce.com. And now I'm thrilled to share this episode with you that used to only be available to paying patrons. So for today, I am pleased to share an episode that originally aired in March of 2020 with my guest, Dr. Rob Renow who is the author and co-founder of Visionary Family Ministries, along with his wife, Amy. Here's our chat. Welcome back to the Savvy Sauce, Rob. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to talk to you again. Well, for anyone who missed our previous episode, will you just share a bit about yourself, your family, and your testimony? Yeah, absolutely. My wife, Amy, and I have been married 25 years, and we have got seven blessings in our life, seven children. We have four boys and three girls, two in college, two in high school, three in elementary school. And about 10 years ago, Amy and I launched a ministry called Visionary Family Ministries, where we are embracing this mission to build the church through this global reformation of family discipleship. That may all sound churchy, but our mission is to help 
Christians grow in their family relationships so that we can build God's kingdom through building strong families and strong churches. One story about repentance and brokenness in my life back in 2004, I remember my oldest son, he's now 22 and engaged and getting married next year, but he was three years old and we're walking to church together and we see the church building up there a block away. And my three-year-old says to me, is this where you live, daddy? And I could take you right now to the square foot of concrete where I was standing, where he was standing when he said this to me. It was an amazing question for a three-year-old because I was the youth pastor at church and I didn't live at church. I lived at home except for the evil junior high lock-in event where I had to be at church. But even at three, my son could sense where my passion was, where my focus was, where my heart was. My heart was at work. My heart was at church. And my wife and kids were getting the leftovers. And that was one of the events that the Lord really used to bring me to a place of brokenness and, and turn my heart to my most important ministry, which was the soul of my wife and the souls of my kids. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that we can all relate to God using our children to convict us of something where he's trying to grab our attention. You have spoken for years on the importance of parents shaping their children's hearts. So I'd like to start there today. How do we actually impact our children's hearts instead of only modifying their behavior? Oh, man, that is such a huge question. I should say just really quickly by way of testimony, the things we're going to talk about today for a lot of years in our marriage, I was absolutely clueless about really the first 10 years of our marriage. I was a youth pastor, was taking care of everybody else's kids and really neglecting my family. So it's only been the last 15 years that I've been on this journey, kind of stumbling along, trying to discover what it really means to be a father, what it really means to be a parent, what it really means to be a husband. So if any of your listeners feel like they're kind of late to the party, that's the way I feel too. But your question about behavior modification or heart change, this evidences itself most obviously when our kids misbehave. Okay, now moms and dads misbehave too, uh, but kids of course do. And the world, when it comes to kid behavior, misbehavior, the world says that the job of the parent is to fix it. In other words, that bad behavior is supposed to stop and good behavior is supposed to start. So whatever you do as a parent, hey, quit it. Hey, you're grounded. Hey, put your phone down. Stop that. Start this is all about just getting your child to do certain good things and stop doing certain bad things. Well, from a Christian perspective, that is a little crazy to say that a good child behaves well, a bad child behaves bad. That sounds very pharisaical from a biblical standpoint, kind of like the more you behave good, the better kid you are. So from a Christian perspective, our mission is not to fix behavior, although we are going to engage in what our kids are doing and try to teach them right and teach them wrong. We want to use all of those opportunities of bad behavior, of which in our house, there's plenty. Uh, we want to use those opportunities of bad behavior to not just have conversations about what did you do, the external behavior, but have heart conversations about why did you do that? In other words, what was in your heart that led you to make that choice? And then how can we have a gospel-based conversation or a biblical conversation, not just about the behavior, but about the heart choice? We're going to have to do some relationship work. Let's say a child punched their sibling or something like that. We're going to talk about the behavior, uh, but we're also going to do some prayer work 
which is, God, I confess my anger to you. I confess my selfishness to you. And I ask that you would change my heart so that you'd help me to not do that again. So we're having these two tracks of conversation, the what and the why. That's good. And I think when they're younger, are you saying then maybe you're even the one pointing out the why if they don't have the words to describe it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You ask your kindergartner, why did you do that? They are going to say, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. And so, yes, with younger children, we are going to have to help them have some heart-based conversations. The Bible says the heart is deceptive, so it even tricks us. Very few adults are capable of discerning their motives for their behavior. They don't think introspectively at all. So with our little ones, let's go back to that illustration of they punch their sibling or push their sibling. You know, well, what was in your heart when you did that? I don't know. Well, I can remember a time when I was about your age, you know, I punched your uncle Jim. You did not. Yes, I did. I punched him. And because he had come into my room and he was always messing with my stuff. And I remember that I was so angry in my heart that I went and punched him. Was there anger in your heart when you punched your brother? Yes, there was. I was angry. Okay, well, let's talk about that. And let's talk to God about that. So yeah, so we're going to have to have some kind of training conversations about motives and, and heart motives. That's helpful. And kind of along those same lines, the morning after you agreed to be my guest, I was reading Titus one one. And it was in the Amplified Version. And this last part just jumped off the page at me as guidance for my own parenting. So let me just read it. It says, to lead and encourage them to recognize and pursue the knowledge of the truth, which leads to godliness. So how do you recommend that we practically lead our children to God's word to encourage them to recognize and pursue it in hopes of that truth leading to godliness in their own lives? Mm, Boy, what a great question. Well, first of all, you know, we can't lead our kids in a direction we're not going in ourselves. So that, that does not mean that moms and dads have to be perfect Christians. So we help our kids be perfect Christians. That's crazy. But what it does mean is that for everybody listening, you know, are we stumbling forward in our own walk with the Lord? Are we stumbling forward in God's grace and in God's mercy and and in God's word? Is God's word a meal, a spiritual meal that we need every day because we recognize our own spiritual neediness? And when that's the case, that automatically and naturally flows through. You know, we were talking before about family worship. In other words, family devotion time, family prayer, family Bible. I was doing a interview with Phil Vischer, the VeggieTales guy, and he asked me a great question. He, we were talking about family worship, you know, families praying, families reading the Bible together at home. And he said, man, okay, family prayer, family Bible. Boy, it sounds like you got to be pretty religious to do that sort of stuff at home. You know, what kind of family is family worship, family prayer and family Bible? What kind of family is this good for? Uh, that was a good question. I said, but you know, the, the really the only families that this is good for are needy, struggling families, families that are having marriage problems, parenting problems, sibling problems, financial problems, medical problems, church problems, discouragement problems. I mean, pretty much just those folks need this. And yeah, you got the point, right? You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think that's me. That sounds like all the stuff we're dealing with. So you see family worship, this, you know, how do we 
use God's word to point our kids to Christ. The driver for family worship is not discipline. It's not, we need to do this because God says do it. The driver for family worship is neediness, that we're a struggling group and we need the supernatural power of God to make us new people and to renew our hearts and to change our minds. And that comes from this needy time of gathering in God's presence through prayer and his word. And I think your kids are going to know which is it, our mom and dad sitting me down for Bible class or our mom and dad needing themselves time with the Lord as a family? And are they needing to talk to him in prayer? Are they needing a spiritual meal from his book? The template for family worship in the second scenario is totally different. And without even trying, I think that that authenticity would actually draw our kids into it more readily. Exactly. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, Windshape Marriage, with you. Windshape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. Windshape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, Windshape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of Windshape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. Rob, I love the practicality of your teaching. So let's discuss how our family schedule reflects to our children what is actually most important to us. Yeah, well, we've been talking about Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we've been talking about these four kind of power-packed moments of the day for spiritual connection, talking about the Lord with our kids when we sit at home for family worship. You know, transition time and car time, a few moments at, at the end of the day, a few moments at the beginning of the day. Uh, and then, of course, God calls his people to gather, you know, one day a week for corporate worship. All those things speak to the issue of family schedule. And one of the things that we try to walk through with parents is one of the most powerful shapers of your child's heart is your normal family schedule. The normal things that you put in a typical week, that teaches your children what is most important to you. So one of the things we've got going on in our culture right now, of course, is this massive issue with sports and how sports, even at very young ages, second grade, third grade, we're talking travel teams and weekends and tournaments and all these things, and how oftentimes now we have these major conflicts with sports and church. And I'm not of the opinion that it is sinful to miss church or, you know, I think, I don't think it's sinful to play a sport on Sunday. However, 
we have a lot of families that every time there's a sports church conflict, they choose the sport. And while they're driving to the soccer tournament an hour away or whatever, on the way, they say, let's say it's Sunday morning. They say to their kids, now, just because we're missing church today, you know, doesn't mean church isn't important. And, uh, you know, we try to balance these things and blah, blah, blah. Well, if every time there's a sports church conflict, you choose the sport, then your speech is worthless. I mean, you are teaching your child what is more important to you because every time there's a conflict on the calendar, you choose one thing over the other. And again, my point here is not to say that it's a sin to miss church when there's conflicts. But if every time there's a conflict, you choose one thing, your calendar is teaching your child your values more than your words. And I think this brings up another big question. So what are your thoughts on Sabbath? Oh, wow. Okay, well, I think that a lot of Christians are nine commandment Christians. They look at the other nine commandments and they see their practical implementation. But if you ask a lot of Christians today, how do you obey the command to keep the Sabbath holy? Unfortunately, a lot of believers would just say, well, I try to go to church as often as I can. And then they'll throw something in there like this. Oh, well, and don't forget, Jesus said that the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. A translation, we can cross that one off the list. Now, they don't say it that callously, but in practicality, that's the reality for a lot of Christians. Like once church is over, once I can check that box, then Sunday is like any other day. And I think that's one of the reasons why we are seeing a lot of spiritual crises and spiritual decline in the culture. And, and in our families as well, because we've really abandoned kind of this Sabbath principle. And it is a calendar issue that there's a day set aside. God wants the first of everything, right? So that's the first day of the week for Christians. It's Resurrection Day. That's why we gather on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection every week. So making Sundays not just about let's check the box and get to church, but how do we make it a day of rest? How do we make it a day of worship? How do we make it a day of fellowship? I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer to that. I don't have a list of things for people of thou shalt not this and thou shalt this. But I would love to have every family have their own list. Here's what we do on Sunday to make it special. Here's what we don't do on Sunday. Uh, because the fourth commandment is in six days, thou shalt do all your labor. And on the seventh day, you shall rest. So there's a stuff you do and there's stuff you don't do. And then for us, on the sports side, we have really tried, and we could have maybe a longer conversation about this if you want. We really stay away from travel sports until junior high, and then only if a kid is really good and they really want to try to play in high school. But staying away from travel sports for us in elementary school has been a high priority financially, time-wise, and athletically. We completely reject the notion that if your kid's not in the Premier League in third grade, that they can't play high school varsity sports. Both research-wise is totally wrong, and, and I would say athletically, philosophically, it's wrong too. Okay, and so for the Reno family, that's helpful to know some parameters around travel sports. Is there anything else on your list that could get all of us brainstorming what our own list is? All right, here's a silly one. I don't mow the lawn on Sundays. Now, do I think it's a sin to mow the lawn on Sundays? No, I don't. But that's just on my, I'm not going to do it on, on that day list. The, the, the spirit is, the, what is the boundaries 
that we have around this day. You know, you might say, well, we people talk about the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Okay, you might say, well, we don't have to obey the Old Testament letter of the law on Sabbath. I would totally agree with that. We don't have to obey Old Testament letter of the law Sabbath, but we do have to obey the spirit of the law. And so I would just ask any listener, what is your step of obedience to obeying Jesus as he taught about the spirit of the Sabbath law? So the silly one for me is I don't mow the lawn. That's so helpful. I love it. I know that you capture everyone's attention when you bring up this question. How do we train our children to whine? So will you just tell us more about that? (laughs) Sure. Okay. So I I realized in my early years of parenting that a lot of my inconsistencies as a dad, I was actually training my children to whine more. So I was a psychology major in college. I did psychology and Bible. And as a part of my psychology degree, I did experiments on a rat. Okay, you do rat experiments in psychology. And, and I had a little rat named Nebuchadnezzar. And the, the purpose of this experiment was to train Nebuchadnezzar to push a little bar in his cage. And the way you set it up is you, you set up a, a little feeding tube to his bar. And if he pushes the bar, he gets a pellet of food. And Nebuchadnezzar learns if I push the bar, I get some food. And then you set up what's called interval reinforcement, where it takes 10 pushes of the bar to get a piece of food, and he pushes the bar more to get his food. And then you set up random reinforcement. Random reinforcement is somewhere between one and 20 pushes of the bar, the computer will spit out a pellet of food to him. Now, under the random setting, it could be one, could be 20, Unless Nebuchadnezzar is sleeping or going potty, he's just pushing that bar like crazy. Push, 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 because he never knows when the little pellet of food is going to come out. Could be one push and he gets it, could be 20 pushes and he gets it. He may as well just keep pushing. So then I realize as, as I'm raising my kids, we're, we're in the grocery store line and they say, oh, daddy, buy us candy because they see all the candy eye level there as we're checking out. And I say, no, I'm not buying you candy. And they say, dad, please buy us candy, buy us candy. I'd say, no, I'm not buying you candy. Come on, we're getting out of here. And we leave the grocery store and daddy is victorious. No candy has been purchased. Well, next day we're back at the gas station and there's more candy. And they say, dad, buy us candy. I say, no, I'm not buying you candy. They say, come on, dad, you didn't buy us candy yesterday. I say, no, I don't want to buy you candy. And they say, dad, come on, just a pack of gum. Please buy us a pack of gum. And I say, fine, 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 fine. Pack of gum, okay, for you, 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 you. You're a baby, you, I don't care. Seven packs of gum, everybody's got their gum, everybody's happy. Well, what I just did is I just used the the most powerful psychological tool known to man to train my children to whine, and it is this tool of random reinforcement. It's like Nebuchadnezzar in the cage. So you put yourself in my five-year-old's little mind, all right, my five-year-old's mind. I asked my daddy for candy, Sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I ask once and candy appears. Sometimes I throw a complete fit and candy appears. I ask 20 times. So what am I going to do? Push, 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 push until I get what I want. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I've trained them to keep doing this because I reinforce them, I reward them totally randomly. So as Amy and I navigated through this, we realized that we had a lot of growth to do in our parenting. And uh, Jesus gives us the exit ramp for all of this. It's a very simple instruction from Jesus, but it's very difficult. The instruction is to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now that all sounds great until we get to practical 
parenting. So the first thing I've got to do is when my kids make a request to me is to stop and listen. That is a challenge because sometimes for me, daddy, can we know? No, 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 we can't. Daddy, you didn't even listen to me. I don't care. No, you can't. So that's not good parenting. I'm being very disrespectful to my child. I'm not even giving them the time of day to listen to their request. So when a child asks for something, you ask for God's help, say, okay, stop. Think about it for just a second. Think for five seconds, 10 seconds, and then give them a clear answer. And then when the child asks again, because they are trained under your old whining system, you then have this period of time where you say, okay, I listened to your request. I answered your question with a no. And if you ask again, then there's going to be a consequence. So training ourselves, think carefully about a child's request and give a simple yes or a simple no and avoid this random reinforcement. Psychology is actually what I studied in undergrad as well. So you're speaking my language. That was fascinating. Awesome. <laughs> Do you believe that first-time obedience is truly possible with all personality types? Well, that's a great question. Is first-time obedience truly possible with all personality types? Absolutely, of course. Because the grace of God can give us a heart of honor and a heart of obedience to Heavenly Father and to parents. Now, is it realistic to expect that children will always be obedient the first time you ask them? Of course not. That would be crazy and legalistic and an incredibly oppressive environment. I think to have an expectation that something's wrong with my child if they whine or they push back or they're disobedient, unless I'm reading my Bible incorrectly, the Bible tells us that my kids come into the world spiritually dead and sinful. And when we say sinful, we don't mean that they do bad things, but rather that they are inherently bad. And that may sound like a horrible thing to say, but that's exactly what the Bible teaches. It's called original sin. And they got it from you. So let me, let me give an example of very hypocritical parenting in my family, okay? I will say, let's take my teenagers. I will say to my teenagers, I will look them in the eye. I will say, I do not expect you to be perfect. I expect you to make mistakes, right? What a wonderful father, right? Isn't that great? And then an hour later, when they do something wrong, here's what I say. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> it's unbelievable how hypocritical I am, right? I sin. I fall short every single day. Why am I expecting my kids to be perfect? extending grace to our kids and extending understanding to our kids that they're going to fall short, just like we fall short, is absolutely critical. If we don't do that, we are going to create this performance, pressurized, shame-based home that's going to do so much damage to them uh, and ultimately, I think, drive them away from God. I'm tracking with everything you're saying here. So when we're actually applying this, how do you recommend that we discern what issues are needing a consequence or needing discipline? Amy does a really great job at this. You know, we talk about consistency in parenting. And I think for me, something that Amy helped me with, I kind of used to think that that meant you had to give like consistent consequences for the same behavior, right? So if a child does behavior A, then they always get a timeout. If they do behavior B, they always get grounded. And that's fine to have some predictability with consequences. It actually can help. But what Amy really helped me with, she said the key ingredient to consistency 
is not that there's always the same consequence, but that the same behaviors are consistently parented. So in other words, if a child talks back to me today and I get all upset and I confront them and that's unacceptable and that's dishonoring, whatever, I blow my stack inappropriately, uh, or maybe I try to handle it well, but tomorrow the child does the same behavior and I don't address it. I don't seek to disciple them and, and nurture them and teach them through it. That's incredibly confusing for a child. So behavior A today gets a response from mom and dad, uh, hopefully a good godly biblical response, but behavior A tomorrow gets ignored. That is, I think, the worst kind of inconsistency from a child's perspective. Okay, so starting backwards, and if you have a spouse getting on the same page and knowing which things you especially want to focus on, so you're not focusing on everything. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and think of it this way. A lot of our kids, especially teenagers, they'll say in our counseling ministry, my parents are on me all the time about everything. It's just a common, common refrain. We've got some parents that are either totally passive and checked out or they're on their kids all the time. And the illustration I give for this is I want you to imagine you go in to meet with your boss for your annual review. And the boss says, uh, Laura, you're, you're doing great. Really appreciate you. But as we go into this next year, I've got a list of 48 things, areas I'd like for you to improve. And you look down the list and you know what? If you're honest, boss is probably right. There's probably these 48 areas you probably could improve, probably falling short a little bit. But your spirit at that point is just crushed. I mean, even if the 48 things are legit, your ability to grow in 48 areas over the course of the next year is absolutely impossible. A wise boss would say, hey, Laura, during this next year, we're really going to give our focus on here are three growth areas that I want to try to help you with. Um, I have every confidence in you that you can grow in these things and, and we'll stay in touch as we go through the year on those. At that point, you say, okay, three things, I can work on that. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that illustration for us as parents. We don't want our kids to ever feel like we're on them all the time about everything. And that's actually not the way God shepherds us either. You know, every Christian, if, if they're growing, you could ask every Christian, what are the areas you're growing in right now? And they would give you, you know what? The Lord is really working on me in one, two, three. They don't list 20 things because their heavenly father is nurturing them in a few key areas of their life. Now, next year, their one, two, three may be different, but that's how spiritual growth works. That's You added exactly what I wanted to say. He's such a good, good father, and it usually is only up to three things at one time, even though, like you said, there's plenty he could focus on. Exactly. So here's another type of backward question that we want to know the answer to so that we can avoid doing it. How do we train our children to become Pharisees? Well, Pharisee training is all about performance. And it's a few different areas. It's communicating to a child that your love for them rises and falls with their behavior. So you ask some children, teenagers, late elementary kids, do you feel like your parents are more fond of you when you behave well, and less fond of you when you behave badly? A lot of them say yes. Now, I don't mean, obviously, if, if my children behave badly, I don't have a lot of warm fuzzies for them at the moment. And similarly, if I yell or lose my temper with my kids, they don't have a lot of warm fuzzies for me because I hurt their feelings or offended them with my bad behavior. But we talked a few minutes ago about the what and the why. 
if all we're doing is talking to our kids about the what, and all we're doing is saying, this is bad behavior, you need to fix this, or you need to start behaving this way, that really is Pharisee training, training them that the most important thing is that they are checking boxes of good behavior, and they're crossing off boxes of bad behavior. That's so helpful to have the clarification. And we just have a few minutes left together. So do you mind just sharing some personal examples from your family? Specifically, I would love to know what you and Amy did in faith when your kids were younger that actually turned out to have a great benefit in their lives now that some of them are adults. Yeah. Well, the family worship time is the key. And we've talked about it a few times already. It's the first action step in Deuteronomy chapter six. And having that time of needy family prayer, needy family Bible, reading the kids' Bibles, reading the Bible Bible. And I would say one of the things that also really impacted, you asked about what happened when they were younger that's impacted them when they're older, doing family worship with other families. We did years of small groups in family small groups, not just adults. And having some other families where we would do object lessons or games that drew kids into the family worship time, Bible reading that was very participatory. I really want your listeners to break out of the idea that family worship is Bible class, okay? The number one question we get about family worship is how do you do family worship for a 22-year-old and a 5-year-old at the same time? Now, see, there's a premise in the question that's wrong. The premise in the question is that I am teaching content and I have to teach content for the 22-year-old and the 5-year-old simultaneously. Okay, yes, are we talking about God and the Word and things like that? Sure we are. But I'm not thinking of family worship as Bible content teaching. We can all pray. 5-year-old can pray. 22-year-old can pray. We can all sing. We can all read the book. And just and, and sometimes our conversation goes to the 22-year-old. Sometimes our conversation goes to the 5-year-old. Sometimes it goes in the middle. Sometimes it just lands totally flat. There are times leading family worship, Laura, where I get the sense that my little congregation is eager to conclude. <laughs> and and what we do then is we conclude. We just wrap it up. But the critical ingredient, folks, listen, the critical ingredient is to get this regular time of family worship, short, long, everything in between. It's the engine that powers your family. It's the engine that powers your family. Without Family prayer and family Bible, you are working with your good intentions and your willpower, and you're going to go nowhere fast as a family. That's so good. I think that empowers us to tap in and obviously rely on the Lord for this, but it makes it seem doable. Rob, if this is somebody's first time hearing you and they want to connect further online, where would you direct them after this conversation? Yeah, we'd love to connect with you online. Our ministry is called Visionary family ministries. You can punch that into any social media that you use. Follow us there. We've got a podcast as well on the uh, Apple Podcasts and tune in. And our website, visionaryfam.com. And we would, if you go to the website and you go to the store, there's some resources there that, that are connected to our conversation here today. Laura, our visionary parenting book, it's actually a second edition that Amy and I just published together. You've got our marriage resources, visionary marriage, some of you are listening, maybe you've got older children, uh, adult kids. We've got a, a book resource called Never Too Late, 
Amy just did a new book for moms called The Not-So-Perfect Mom. It's on guilt and perfectionism in mothers. It's an incredible book about Amy's journey and the scriptures that have impacted her. All the books, all the resources you can get on Amazon or wherever you, you get your books. And we also have video Bible studies. If you are in a small group or church or adult class, our visionary parenting video Bible study, generations video Bible study, which is for all the generations of your family to do together. Uh, we would just love to connect with you. So go wherever you go on your computer, type Visionary Family Ministries, and uh, you'll find us. That's incredible. We'll link to all of that as well. And just appreciate all the content that you and your wife have put out there and made available. And Rob, I have one final question for you today because we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so as we conclude our time together, what is your Savvy Sauce? All right. Savvy sauce for today is a little prayer that I find myself going back to over and over and over again. You know, a lot of your listeners may be here. We're talking about family discipleship, passing faith to your kids, having a distinctively Christian home. And it feels pretty overwhelming to people. They're like, man, I'm the first Christian in my family, or I didn't grow up this way, or I'm really struggling in my own faith, or things in our marriage are a mess. Like, where do I even start with all this? This little itty bitty five second prayer, one sentence prayer would be the the secret savvy sauce place to start. And it's a prayer that just goes like this. God, turn my heart to the ministry of my family. God, turn my heart to the ministry of my family. I would challenge you if you would pray that five second prayer once a day for 30 days, God, turn my heart to the ministry of my family. I know that God is going to do something special in your heart. And when he does something special in your heart and in your life, that's going to overflow into your home. That's so good because when the word of God, when that seed does take root, he will produce the fruit. And so Rob, thank you for communicating with grace and truth. God is clearly using your humility and your gifting to motivate all of us to parent more with purpose. And we don't usually end this way, but would you mind just closing all of us in a word of prayer? I'd love to. Let's do that. God, uh, all of our families are messed up and uh, we have lots of sin and struggle in the home. The, the intensity of our family relationships just brings out a lot of junk in our hearts and the people that we live with. And so all of us, God, even through the podcast as we're listening together now, just lift our families up to you. And we ask for grace and we ask for mercy. And for those of us that are parenting and grandparenting, I, I just want to pray that our kids would love you more than we love you that they would love your word more than we love your word. They'd carry your gospel into the world farther than we can carry it. And that you'd use our broken, struggling families to advance your gospel in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this special Patreon release. And we hope it also gives you a glimpse into the amazing conversations we're having on Patreon every month. Next week, the only episode going live is for our paying patrons. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. 
we need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10:9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.